Well, today we're starting a, a new teaching series on the subject of personal renewal. That is, renewing our personal relationship with God. We're calling this series, Get Out of That Rut. You know what a rut is, don't you? A rut, literally speaking, it's a, like a deep, long groove that you get your, your tire stuck in or your wheel into, and it's, it's hard to get out of. A number of years ago, my wife was with a friend of hers, and they were driving in a car on a, a small, narrow country road, and there had been a lot of snow. It had snowed very heavily. The snow was deep, and all there was on the road for the, their vehicle to drive in was, was two, two tire tracks. And so they were going along in these tire tracks, and it had also, it not only had snowed, but it had also been freezing rain. So it was really slippery. So they're driving along this road. The rut is really deep. Their wheels are right down in these two tire grooves. And uh, they, they look up, and what do they see coming toward them? But another vehicle. And so, of course, they try to slow down, but because of the ice, they're starting to slide. They try to turn. The vehicles try to turn to, to avoid each other, but they couldn't. Why? Because the wheels of both vehicles were in, were in ruts. And what happened is... In very slow motion, the two vehicles came together, and just, just like bumper cars at the fair, they collided. Now, happy to report, nobody was hurt. They were all going really, really slow, but they got in an accident they couldn't avoid because they were stuck in ruts that they couldn't get out of. Now, loved one, that happens to us spiritually, just as it, just as it happens to our vehicles or even a skate blade in the ice, just as that can happen to us uh, literally, spiritually, that can happen to us too. Of course, people talk about being in a rut uh, in a figurative sense, and that could mean they just feel like they're trapped in a job they don't like, they're, they're in, a, in a bit of a funk that they can't get out of. But I'm thinking in this series of, the, of spiritual ruts, a spiritual rut of being distant from God, being in a rut of being disengaged from fellowship with the Lord, distracted from His purposes, diverted away from His plans, and finding ourselves in a pattern of living where we're missing the joy of the Lord, where we're lacking fruit, where we're not experiencing the kind of abundant life the Lord calls us to. And the most frustrating thing, perhaps, is that we can't seem to get out of it. We're stuck in a rut, in a spiritual rut. And this is probably, for lots of us, exacerbated in this current season because of, well, the, the lockdown situation we're in and the ongoing threat of this virus with increased isolation, mounting frustrations. It can really consume us and sap our energies. And if we're not careful we can find ourselves, well, in a place where maybe you find yourself today, in a rut, in a spiritual rut. Well, that's what this series is about, about helping you get out of that rut. That's why I called it, Get Out of That Rut. Because what we're going to do is I want to look with you to God's Word to find help to get you and I out of any spiritual rut we might be in, particularly in our personal relationship with God. And not only do I want to help some of you get out of that spiritual rut, I also want to equip you to help others get out of that rut. Because as I teach you, 
you can also take these scriptures and teach them to others and be a help to them to show them how they can get out of that spiritual rut and back on track with God. So that's, that's what I'm preaching this series. It's, it's, it's all about, this series is all about renewing our love for God. It's all about rediscovering our passion for Christ. It's about, it's about refreshing our devotion to the Lord. It's about rejuvenating our affections for Him and really recommitting to His purposes. That's what this series is about. It's uh, six messages. And uh, each of those messages, I'm going to identify six different spiritual ruts that we commonly find ourselves in, in our relationship with God. And we're going to look to help, look to God for help to get out of those ruts. So um, you ready for some personal renewal? You ready to get out of that rut? All right, then let's get going. Let's get God's word open. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. And the, <clears throat> we're going to deal with today the rut of a cold heart. The rut of a cold heart. Do you have a cold heart in your relationship with God? I'm not saying, are you a cold-hearted person? I don't mean, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking, are you in a position, are you in a, a position, are you in a situation right now, a position where your affections for God are cool? Where your heart for God, your passions for God are not what they were not what they should be. Is your heart cold before God? You, uh, uh, maybe at one time you loved God passionately. You worshipped Him with zeal. Your prayers were sincere. You served Him with joy. But then you drifted. And before you know it, you find yourself in a rut. You, I mean, you want that. You want life. You want joy in the Lord. You want, But you, you just can't seem to get there. You're just stuck in that rut. Well, today I want to help you get out of that rut. And the help we have is the best help of all. It's from the Lord Jesus himself, because he had a letter. He had a message for a whole church, a whole church who were in a rut. They had this spiritual rut of a cold heart. Their love for the Lord had diminished and he had a message for them. Well, let's, let's look and see what that message is. The church uh, that we're speaking of is the church in Ephesus. Um, uh, they were going along doing life, and uh, they were in this spiritual rut. And whether they really had articulated it or not or realized it, I don't know. But one day they gathered for church, and the pastor stood up, and he said he had a letter to read to them. And the letter was from the Lord Jesus. Now, this letter, is re it, this is really real. I'm not making this up. Okay, the, the Lord Jesus revealed himself to John the Apostle in a vision. And among other things, he told John, he said, I got a message for the church at Ephesus. And John was to deliver this message to them. And this is the message here in Revelation chapter 2. Let's listen to see what Jesus says to them. Revelation 2, beginning at verse 2. Jesus says to these believers, he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and, uh, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, look, so far, so good, right? I'm not seeing any ruts here. I mean, this actually sounds like a pretty good church. 
They got a lot of things going for them. They're doing a lot of things right. I mean, they're, they're active in ministry. Jesus says, verse 2, I know your works, your toil. So, I mean, they're not sitting back. This isn't a bunch of lazy, couch-sitting bunch of Christians. I mean, they are, they're live, they are serving the Lord. They are they're working. They're working for God. And, um, uh, they, you know, they've got all kinds of volunteers. And so... They're an active church. They're a doctrinally sound church. I mean, they're standing up to false teaching. Uh, they are they're a church that uh, is also patiently enduring hardship. So they're not becoming embittered. Uh, they're not, you know, seeking retaliation against their persecutors. We read down in verse 6 that they were uncompromising. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, just for our purposes today, the Nicolaitans were false teachers that would, that would mislead the Lord's people. But the Ephesians, they were discerning and they were courageous when it came to doctrinal truth. And, um, well, this is a pretty good church, isn't it? I mean, sounds to me like the kind of church I'd want to go to. If your kids, you know, moved to Ephesus or your grandkids... You probably were pretty happy if they connect if they got connected with the church at Ephesus. I mean, you know, you sort of this this was a church that probably lots of other churches wanted to be like. You know, we we need to be doctrinally sound like that church. We need to be active like them. I mean, this the church at Ephesus was probably was probably featured in Christianity Today. Their their preachers were invited to all the Bible conferences. All the pastors wanted to know how to how do you do it? How do you keep going like this? They had lots of things going for them. The outward appearance of this church was that it was very strong and very healthy. But beneath the surface, they had a big problem. And Jesus identifies that in verse 4. He identifies the rut that they're in. Verse 4, he says, But I have this against you. Do you see that, verse 4? I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here is a church that was in a spiritual rut. The rut they were in was that they had, well, they had cold hearts toward God. Their love had diminished. And Jesus gives them here a strong word of rebuke. In fact, I want you to make a note of that. Christ Jesus rebukes believers whose love is diminished. The most important thing that we're to do, Jesus says, is we're to love God with everything we've got. With all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, we're to love God. He said that's the most important commandment. That's our, that's our great grand purpose in this life, is to love God. And... In loving God, when we love God, flowing out from that is also love for others. Now, Jesus here, he doesn't specify uh, the, whether they are, have abandoned their love of God or love of people, but I'm going to suggest to you that he has in mind especially their love for God. Because, well, that's the first commandment. That's the great commandment. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. And Jesus says that they have abandoned that love. And I'm willing to bet that if, they've, if their love for God has diminished, <laughs> then probably their love for others, for one another, their love and concern for the lost, that's diminished too. Jesus is not okay with that, is he? 
Christ Jesus rebukes believers whose love is diminished. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. The New American Standard renders it this way. You have left your first love. You've left your first love. I take that to mean their, God, their love for God. Their hearts were once warm with affections for God. They had now gone cold. You ask, well, how does this happen? Well, generally, I think it happens gradually. Gradually over time, way leads on to way, and our passions for God that were white hot dissipate and become cool. I think it's a subtle thing. Sometimes we don't even notice it. Oftentimes, perhaps, we don't even notice it. In fact, people can appear quite serious about God, but their hearts far from Him. The Ephesian church, they did a lot of things right, didn't they? They had a lot of things going for them. You know, for 30 years, for 30 years, this church was a flourishing, thriving church. Like they were, Jesus says, you know, I know your toil and your patient endurance. They had been through a lot. They'd faced a lot of opposition, but they kept on going. This was a church, they were a planting church. They planted from, from the church at Ephesus, numerous churches were planted in Asia Minor. In fact, Paul the Apostle spent a significant time in Ephesus preaching the gospel and, and countless people from the whole region came to know about Jesus and to trust in Jesus through the ministry that went on from this church. This church was a launch pad for the gospel. They were a mission center for 30 years. But here's what happened. The first generation of believers uh, were, had sort of grown old and were maybe beginning to die off. And now we've got the second generation of believers. And they know about Jesus. They know the gospel. But they don't have the same heart their love for the Lord has cooled. Is your, how's your love for the Lord? Is your love for the Lord flaming hot? Or is your heart cold? You say, well, Ross, how do you tell? Well, three signs. I'm going to give you three signs here. Three signs that your heart has gone cold. Sign number one is when obedience is a burden, you probably got a cold heart. When obedience to the Lord feels like a burden, like not something I desire to do, but something I have to do, that's a heart that's gone cold. You say, how do you know that, Ross? Well, listen to Jesus, John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, that will result in obedience. Obedience that's motivated by love. Why do we obey the Lord? Because we love him. We, we delight in him. We desire rich fellowship with Him, and so we go His way. Obedience flows from love. I mean, you want to check the temperature of your heart? Then stick the thermometer in how excited you are about obe obeying the Lord. Of course, we're not saying how, you're not saying that you're finding obedience easy. There's very few things the Lord calls us to that are easy. But when obedience feels like a burden, that's probably a person with a cold heart. Some of you remember the Red Green show. You remember that show? It was a, a, a Canadian comedy show, I think really kind of mostly for men. But uh, the guys in the lodge in that show, if you remember, they would come together and they had a little motto at the beginning of their, their lodge meetings. They would stand up and raise their right hand and they would say, I am a man, I can change if I have to, I guess. Okay? Uh, it doesn't sound very enthusiastic, does it? Here's the thing. I think... 
There's lots of Christians that have that kind of attitude toward obedience. I'm a Christian. I can obey Jesus if I have to, I guess. Is that your attitude toward obeying the Lord? John says in his uh, first epistle that the Lord's commands are not burdensome. Rather, they're a, they're a delight. When obedience feels like a burden, it's probably a sign that your heart has gone cold, that your love has diminished. A second sign, when, you're, when you are serving but rarely smiling, your heart may have gone cold. I don't mean a big pasted smile, like, look at me, I hate this, but I'm happy for Jesus. I, I, I don't mean that, but I mean, I mean finding joy in serving. We talk about sometimes service with a smile, right? Well, there's, there's, kind of, there's joy in it, and at least, <laughs> at least the appearance of joy. But in Jesus, there should be real joy in it. I, I desire to serve Him. When I'm, when I'm serving, but rarely smiling, doing it begrudgingly, doing it if I have to, doing it because well, I don't want to look like I'm not engaged, doing it just to make people happy, that's probably a person with a cold heart toward the Lord. It doesn't mean every task is pleasant. And it doesn't mean that just because you're in a ministry that you discover isn't actually for you, that you're somehow failing in loving Jesus. We're not, not saying that, right? Like you signed up to teach Sunday school and discovered you don't like kids. Listen, that, that's okay. I, don't, I can't relate to that, but, but that, that's, that's okay. That the real, what I'm talking about, though, is, is desiring to serve the Lord and finding joy and living for Him and administering to others. When you're serving but rarely smiling, it's probably somebody with a cold heart. Third, third sign that your heart has gone cold, when your first passion and priorities are for something other than God, that is somebody with diminished love, with a cold heart. What do I mean by that? When we allow God to become a subject we study instead of a, someone we, save, we savor, when God becomes a subject we study instead of someone we savor, we've got a cold heart. Our passions, our priorities are for something other than Him. When we allow God to become a topic we discuss instead of a father we cherish, we've got a cold heart. We got our passions and priorities on something other than Him. When we allow God to become an idea with which we agree instead of a God whom we glorify. When we allow God to become a cause for which we fight instead of a Savior we adore. When we allow God to become just a part of our life instead of the purpose of our life. That is a person whose heart has gone iced over between them and the Lord. Many people are passionate to argue for Jesus, but their love for him is cold at a low centigrade. And Jesus is not cool with that. He's not. He rebukes the believer whose love is diminished. How do you know if your heart has gone cold? When obedience is a burden, when you're serving but rarely smiling, when your passions and priorities are for something other than God. Those are three signs. But you know, I'm just going to add just one more into this. Just one more. And it's real simple. How do you know? I think you know. Let me ask you. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Remember Jesus asking Peter this question? When he commissioned Peter into his ministry, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Well, you. Do you love him? If you're at all in doubt, maybe ask somebody close to you. 
asked him, what evidence is there that I love Jesus? Are you seeing it? Because if you're having a hard time telling, I'm willing to bet there's people around you that can tell. Remember back in uh, the, I believe it was the really early 80s, 81 or 80 or 81, um, this for lots of you is before your time, I know. Um, it was almost before my time, but some of you remember the engagement of Prince Charles to Princess Diana. You remember, some of you remember that? And um, when they announced their engagement, they were interviewed about their relationship. And one of the questions the interviewer asked is he asked them about being in love. You know, like, are you, are you both in love with each other? And Diana said, well, of course. And then Charles said something that uh, people who saw it will never forget. Diana says, well, of course we're in love. And Charles says, whatever love means. <laughs> whatever, whatever love means. So let me ask you, is he in love with her? I don't want to play judge here. I don't want to start an international incident or anything. But I'm willing to bet the answer is no. No. Girls, does he love them? Men, is that the right answer to the question? No, it's not the right answer. There's, there's evidence. We can see that. Something's wrong here. I bet you people around you can see it too. What evidence is there? Is there in my life, is there evidence that I love the Lord? Jesus rebukes those whose love is diminished. Why are we drilling down on this? Because it matters. It matters. He rebukes those whose love is diminished. So perhaps this morning what we're hearing is a rebuke from the Lord. Hey, hey, listen, you, there's an issue here in your life. He rebukes believers whose love is diminished. Make a note of this now. He warns believers whose love is diminished. He does that in verse, verse 5. Notice he says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I will remove your, your lampstand. If you don't get out of this rut... He says to the church at Ephesus, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Now, what, what does that mean, remove my lampstand? Well, in the book of Revelation, there's lots of symbolism. And the lampstand in Revelation is symbolic. It's a symbol of the church. The church is referred to as a lampstand, which makes sense when you think about it, right? Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. So like the church is like a lampstand shining forth the hope we have in Jesus, the good news that Christ died for our sins and we can have the forgiveness of our sins and we can have a relationship with God. And if that's something you want to have, then I want you to know that you can have that. And if you'd like help with that, reach out to us. Just go to arendale.org, scroll to the bottom of the page, tell us, I want to know about more about becoming a Christian. I want to know more about having this life of the Lord in my life. And we'd love to be able to help you out and to guide you in that way. But the church is the light to the world, isn't it? That's what Jesus said. And so the picture here is of a lampstand. Now, so the lampstand is the church. Now, what does Jesus say? If they don't get out of this rut, if their hearts don't thaw, if they don't have renewed affections for the Lord, what's he going to do with the lampstand? He says that he will come and remove it. So what does that mean? If the church is the lampstand and the lampstand is removed, what's Jesus saying he's going to do with this church? He's going to remove them. He's going to, he's going to shut them down. Oh, they may still function and go about their work, but the Lord will leave. He'll withdraw his power. He will draw his grace for their mission. He'll turn the lights off. It's a warning. It's a warning to us that 
persisting in this rut is something we cannot do. I think that what happens sometimes is that our hearts become cold and we continue being resistant to God's, uh, God's promptings in our hearts. We kind of glaze over and harden over and we sure need His grace. And for a whole church for this to happen, well, there can come a time when the Lord just, just shuts it down. God forbid that would ever happen to us. Here's what I'm saying. Nothing good comes from the life of a Christian with a cold heart. And the Lord isn't underscoring that. He, he rebukes us and he warns us. Do not persist in this. In other words, if you're listening to this message today and you realize this is me, I'm in this rut, then resolve it right now, so help me God. I'm not going to pass go. I'm not going to collect $200. I'm not going on to the next thing until I take action today. You say, well, Ross, I'm right there with you, but what action do I take? You see, it's not easy. I'm in a rut, right? I can't, I've tried to get out of this. I've tried, I've wanted to, and I just can't seem to. So what, thanks for the sermon, Ross, but now I feel worse than I did. You've just told me I'm in a rut. Well, help's on the way. And help is in verse five. Jesus has for us help. What is it? One thing, one of the countless things I love about the Lord is, yeah, he points out the problem, but he also gives us the help we need to overcome it. And loved one, you got help here. It's in verse five. Notice what Jesus says. So he rebukes us and he warns us. So we, he's got our attention now, okay? He's going to discipline us here. There's going to be, we are going to be sorry if we don't deal with this. So, okay, so we're a little nervous here. We're concerned, we're convicted, and now help. Help me out of this rut, Lord. Look what he says, verse five. He tells us three things. There's three exhortations here. Notice, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. That's the first one. Repent, there's the second, and do the works you did at first. You see that verse five? Look at the page. So you see, this isn't my ideas. This is Jesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus provides a remedy for getting out of the rut. Jesus gives us here a three-point remedy for getting out of this rut. Number one, what's the first thing we're to do? Remember. Remember, he says, from where you have fallen. I put it this way. Remember the love that you used to have for the Lord. Remember the love that you used to have. In other words, go back to that time when you first realized God loves me. I mean, you knew that God loved people, and you knew, oh, God loves me, because God loves me. God loves people, so he loves me. But no, no, the time when you realize God loves me, the time when you, when you realize Jesus died for me, a sinner, he died for me, by faith, God has saved me and given me life. Remember that. Go back to that. Like maybe in your marriage, when you're, if you're beefing with your spouse, what you need to do is go back and remember that time in your life when, brother, when you pursued that woman, you pursued her, you'd drive two hours to have lunch with her, you'd make up excuses to go and see her, the, the, the thrill in your soul when you realize that she likes you, the 
the, the joy and the wonder, the blown awayness when she walked down that aisle. You see, our problem is that we forget. We forget all kinds of things and incredibly important things. We forget, we forget sometimes the love that we have felt for people. Maybe you're, you're a, a long-lost friend, you know, you remember how you were there for each other in university and how you were there through thick and thin. And it kind of, kind of, when you think back on where you've been with people, it kind of refreshes your fondness for them and your appreciation for what they mean to you. Well, that's what Jesus is saying we need to do in our relationship with God. Go back to that place in your mind. Remember the love you had for him at one time. That's why I think, that's why I think it's so important for us to worship the Lord, to discipline ourselves, to worship him. And I know right now it's, it is definitely not the same doing it online as it is in person. But it's not nothing doing it online. As we get together and we hear these songs and we sing them, it does something for us. Listen, I think that music plays a really important role in helping us to remember the love from which we've drifted. Because so many of the songs we sing remind us of the glory of God, of the greatness of God, of the preciousness of Him. Like this song we're singing today about His mercy is more of my sins. They are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. He's rescued my soul. He's purchased me. My sins are many, but His mercy is more. The, these songs do things for us. They help us to remember. Maybe you need to go back and Sing that song. That's why I think it's so important for us to hear testimonies of other believers, for us to share fellowship together. At Arendale, we, we, uh, we pray together each week online. We also meet together for coffee uh, fellowship. You don't have to drink coffee, but we get together right at, uh, at 11.30 on Sunday morning on Zoom. You should come and be there to connect with other believers, to hear about what God is doing in their lives, to, to see each other, to encourage each other in the Lord. It's important. It helps us to remember, to remember the, the love that God has for us, the fellowship that we enjoy, how good it is to be in Jesus. Our big problem is, is that we tend to forget, but there's power in remembering to touch the soul, to break through the hardness of heart. How do I know there's power in it? Because Jesus tells us to do it. Go back to that time when you remember Jesus. Jesus died for me. Remember. Remember the love that you used to have for God. It's the first thing. Second thing is repent. Repent, he says. That's just that word there, repent. What does he mean, repent? Repent of what? Repent of lovelessness. In other words, we need to recognize this issue for what it is. It's sin. This isn't a side issue. We can't just read this text and think on this subject and say, I know I should love God more. No, no, it is sinful for me to not love him. To have a cold heart is a spiritual travesty. And it's one I need to address. When I repent, I acknowledge that I'm in the wrong. I confess my sin. And wonder of wonders, the Bible says, when we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of Jesus. But when I repent, I confess my sin. When I repent, I have a change of mind. I go from, from, thinking, from thinking one thing to thinking another thing. So I go from thinking that this is okay to now seeing this is not okay. 
I go from going one direction to going another direction. Namely, in this case, from having diminished love to increased love for the Lord. He says, repent, come to terms with this. We often say, you know, admitting you have a problem is the first step, so start there. Lord, this is not okay. I'm sinning against you. Remember, repent. Third thing he says is do. He says in verse 5 again, do the works that you did at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. In other words, do what you did when your love was strong. Do what you did when your love was strong. It's a call to devotion here. It's a call to getting back to doing the things that you do when you love God. Worship. Prayer. Being in God's Word. Ministering to others. Evangelism. Being on mission. Caring for people in Jesus' name. Don't just go back to old patterns of cold-heartedness. Don't just hear this sermon and give it a grade. Oh, I was okay. Well, I was decent. Not as good as it normally is. And, or like, oh, that was a good point. Don't just, don't, that would just be a total waste. No, no. Resolve that there's going to be change happen. Cry out to God. In fact, get down in your knees and plead with God to forgive you for your sin of lovelessness and to give you a, a new heart. I remember a dear brother of, of mine in the Lord telling me that one time in his life that he had to pray. He just there was the, he was in a spiritual rut and he had to pray. God, please show me. Please help me to see and understand your love for me. And that was a life-changing prayer because God did that. Maybe you got to do that. Do the things that you do when you love God, when your heart is warm with affection. In fact, I want to challenge you today to, do, to take action right now, to take steps now, to remember. Remember, and by remembering, I want to challenge you this week to tell your salvation story to someone else. It could be anybody. It could be your spouse, your son, your daughter. It could be a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, a friend, a neighbor. It could be just, just in coffee time today with church fellowship. Say, I want to share my testimony. I want to challenge you to share your testimony with someone else. And if something happens, you're like, that's just not going to work out that week, this week, then at least do this. Write it down or record it. And prepare it. Just tell your salvation story, how you came to know the Lord. That will be a means of you remembering. I want to challenge you to repent. If you are recognizing there is coldness in my heart toward God, then talk to Him about it. Take it to Him today. Say, Lord, I've sinned against you. And I'm the one who's suffering. God, have mercy on me. And then do. I want to challenge you to take even these steps. Don't just think about it and don't just say, I'm going to do it, but do it. Do the works that you did at first. In other words, do what you did when your love was strong. Will you do those things? And one more thing. Will you come back and join me next week? Because next week i got more help for you. Next week we're going to study a prayer that Jesus teaches us that has power to rekindle our affections. So i got you some help today to get out of that rut. But there's more help coming then. Now you take action today. Will you do that? Let me pray for you. Lord, you know our hearts. and You know my heart. I pray, Lord God, that you would renew, do a great renewing 
work in us to refresh our love, our affections for you, because you are worthy and we are happiest, Lord, when we're in love with you. Oh God, break through the hardness, Lord God. Peel back the calluses. Do renewing, convicting, awakening work in us, we pray. Oh Jesus, save us from ourselves. Refresh our love for you. And then refresh our love for others. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.